Good afternoon, everyone. It's wonderful to get to see you again, or at least to be seen by you. I appreciate everyone hanging in there with me as I am starting a couple minutes late today. But you know, when you're on your way to the capital city of the empire, sometimes things just don't go as planned. Uh, we certainly saw that last week as we uh, were on that ship with the Apostle Paul, probably Luke, and a couple of others who were on their way across the Mediterranean Sea uh, to Rome, and things didn't go quite as they had planned, as we found out and as we saw, but it was still a great trip, and the Lord was with them, and, uh, and today we're going to be able to see Paul and that uh, group uh, land on a island south of Italy, uh, spend the winter there, have a few interesting experiences, and then get on another ship and finally make it to the mainland of Italy and take that little journey um, up the road to Rome itself. Uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, Paul to be able to, um, to stand before the emperor and to be able to uh, fulfill what has been told him from the start, which is, you will be a witness, and you will be a witness to uh, the small and the great, uh, to the rich and the poor, to uh, everyone, uh, Jew and Gentile alike. And so today, uh, we're going to be uh, taking that last leg with the Apostle Paul. I expect to uh, have a short class, or it's short for me anyway, uh, this Thursday at 3 p.m. Uh, on the Facebook page here and be able to uh, kind of close this study out of the book of Acts. I do anticipate continuing this Tuesday, Thursday study. Uh, my thought right now is that next Tuesday we will begin a new study in the book of the Psalms. As I think about what's ahead for our communities and our country over the next few months, I think it would probably be a great idea to go back to that uh, wonderful song book and prayer book and consider some of the great moments of worship and um, prayer that the psalmists write us about. And so I'd like to do that starting uh, next week. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to finish out this particular uh, study uh, because that is, what, um, that is what we have been working towards uh, throughout this summer. I appreciate everyone hanging in there with us as we have made this study on Facebook Live and then transferred it along uh, as well. Hopefully you're able to uh, catch us and see us. I see a few people have joined us. Others may be joining us a bit later. And, um, um, but as we, as we go forward with this, um, I'm gonna begin with a scripture from Romans, uh, Romans chapter 12. As Paul writes the book of Romans, he's not even uh, been there yet. Uh, and yet he will soon uh, see that hope and dream realized. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, there is this statement, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. One of the great things about the church is that we do exactly that, that we are able to rejoice with those who rejoice and, and weep with those who weep. Uh, we call the church a family. In scripture, it's called the body of Christ, the household of faith, the the church of God, the church of Christ. Um, it's called many things, but one thing that it definitely is, is it's a group of people who need each other. Then so, it's a group of people who are there for each other. And we see that in a great way here in the 28th chapter of the book of Acts. We see people 
um, that Paul perhaps had never met uh, actually coming to his aid and giving him encouragement probably at just exactly the time that he needed it. Acts began with the ascension of Jesus in Jerusalem. We look back to that chapter 1 long ago, uh, and, and it charts the growth of the church over the next three decades. Uh, as Paul lands in Rome, it is about A.D. 60, somewhere in there, and uh, 60 CE, 60 Common Era. Uh, and it's been roughly 30 years since the church began, and what a, what a beginning it has been. Um, I've entitled this series, Beginning with a Bang, Continuing with Conviction. Um, we see that in the church as they began in such a strong way in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost with 3,000 being baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And the church was off and running. Uh, we see the persecution beginning really quickly in chapters 3 and 4 and 5. And then uh, Paul steps on the scene and uh, then finally, is after persecuting the church, becomes its its uh, uh, probably its its best missionary, and uh, and preacher, and minister, and uh, church founder, and writer, as he records several of the books of the New Testament, as you know. Uh, Luke is going to leave us with the Apostle Paul under house arrest. We might say here at the end of, of Acts chapter 28, where he will be for a couple of years uh, preaching the gospel there in the city of Rome, the capital of the empire uh, itself. And it's likely that around this time he is writing what we call the prison epistles, the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. It's possible that he had he's already written them, that it's possible he wrote them while he was waiting uh, in Caesarea uh, for two years. Uh, for uh, the governor, Felix, to uh, release him or send him on. And, and finally, uh, that governor is replaced, and he ends up appealing to Caesar. And now that brings us um, here to chapter 28. Um, one of the things uh, about social distancing that COVID-19 has, uh, has brought about is a renewed appreciation for good old-fashioned fellowship. Man, we miss being together. I mean, this is great, being able to watch online, uh, being able to, uh, to see one another and study together and uh, communicate with each other through text messaging or through um, Facebook or Twitter or some other social uh, uh, media means to be able to share lessons like this one is a, a great blessing. To be able to watch our worship services when you can't get out of the house or don't want to get out of the house uh, because of this pandemic that's going around and because uh, maybe uh, you may be one of those that's in an especially vulnerable category and we get that. We've, uh, we've said that all along, that we want our people uh, to be safe. But even with that, we realize that um, there's nothing quite like getting together, even though we still, for the most part, have our masks on as we gather here at West Irwin Church of Christ in Tyler, Texas on Sundays. Even though we uh, may not be able to hug and handshake and see the smiles as we typically do, it is still a great blessing to be able to be together. Uh, the last couple of weeks here at West Irwin, we've had over 200 for the first time since uh, the lockdown, since we shut down everything in March, except for our online services. And then after uh, a couple of months on Mother's Day in May, 
uh, we started meeting in person again, and we've had crowds that have kind of steadily, steadily grown through the weeks, a little bit of ups and downs as the, uh, the virus has uh, also had ups and downs with its case numbers and, and how it has affected our community here. Uh, but for the last two weeks, both weeks over 200, which is very healthy, and uh, our elders announced uh, this past Sunday that on September 6th, which is Labor Day weekend, we're going to be increasing our, our number of activities here. We'll be adding our children's classes back into our Sunday morning and Wednesday night scheme. We'll be adding uh, some adult Bible classes as well. And, uh, and so we're uh, planning on um, uh, trying to get back into it because we need it. We need it so badly. And again, that's one of the things that this uh, shutdown has, has reminded us of, that, that we do need each other and that we want to be together. Uh, we really want to be together. Um, and so that's what more and more of our people are doing. They're going back to school, they're going back to work, they've gone back to work for a while. They uh, are involved in different activities and uh, uh, in the schools, in the children's activities. Um, uh, there's lots of things that are happening and we still want people to be safe, of course, uh, as safe as you can. And we're gonna try to do the same thing here in all of our uh, classes and all of our assemblies uh, and activities. But we also realize that this is not a permanent solution, <laughs> this shutdown. And so there will be a time we've said all along when we'll know it's right to get back and now is that time. And so I hope that you will continue to be blessed and that you will find uh, that fellowship uh, that is so important as uh, the Apostle John wrote um, in 1 John 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, purifies us from all of our sins. Uh, we, we want that fellowship with each other, and we have it whether we're together or not, but we're able to feel it and to share it uh, when we're able to be uh, together. Today we consider uh, this last chapter of the book of Acts, and uh, look ahead to, to Thursday and maybe uh, uh, have a chance to just look back over this great book, uh, this great narrative of the first 30 years or so of uh, the church. We end with Paul finally arriving at Rome um, as, a, as a prisoner, <laughs> as a prisoner. And even after he's there and is there for a couple of years, he's there with a soldier living with him uh, under guard, uh, in Rome, thankfully in his own place, but um, still under guard. The last legs of the journey demonstrate how much it means uh, to each of us to be there for each other, to rejoice together, but also to weep uh, together, just to be there for God and to, to be there for each other and, and to answer his call for whatever uh, the need uh, arises. And that's what we want to do, and that's what we seek to do. And and so today, as we, um, as we look ahead to, to this great uh, chapter in Acts chapter 28, um, I encourage you to look again at your handy-dandy Bible map. It will show you um, the journey of Paul uh, uh, to Rome. Likely you have one that says Paul's third mission journey and journey to Rome or just the journey to Rome. Uh, that's a very important, um, important thing to do. And it helps you to see, as we saw last week, in chapter 27 in that exciting uh, journey uh, across the Mediterranean Sea as Paul is, uh, has, has encouraged the, 
the commander don't don't go this is not the right time to go the winter's coming in it's it's not going to go well and yet yet he does and and so they're they're really at sea for two long weeks and they are uh, trying to do the best they can uh, tying the boat together with ropes literally uh, and finally uh, we read uh, these things as we close out that chapter 27 and uh, and look at what leads up to Paul uh, arriving in uh, the capital of the empire. Uh, first of all, these words from Acts 27 at the end of the book in verse 42. Uh, the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Remember, the ship ran aground. It had struck a reef uh, at, or a sandbar and got stuck and the, the surf just beat it. And um, those who could swim were told to get out and swim to shore and Everybody else was told to uh, find a plank, find a piece of this boat that you can uh, float on and, and get to, um, get to shore. Uh, the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. And this way, everyone reached land safely. Remember, we saw in, in Acts 27 that uh, Paul had told the commander, look, uh, I've been, an angel of my God has visited me and has told me that, that I'll be safe and that everyone on the ship, their life will be spared. But they have to stay with the ship. They can't leave. And that's what happens. They all get to the island uh, safely. And that's where, um, that's where we find Paul in chapter 28, uh, beginning at verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. If you're looking at your Bible map or at any other map, you find the boot-shaped country of Italy. And just south of that is the larger island of Sicily. And right around there, there's one of those tiny islands, uh, is the island of Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. Uh, they built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Boy, what a blessing that must have been after everything that they had been through on that ship and the, the long nights, the, the, un, the long days, the, the unending storm, um, tossing the cargo over, tossing the tackle over, tossing the food over after they finally eat, and then just praying for daylight as they notice the soundings, the, the ground is uh, get the, getting more and more shallow. And, uh, and so now it's going to, uh, they're, they're afraid of what's ahead. They get to this island and they build a fire and uh, the inhabitants of the island uh, welcome them. What a blessing. Verse 3, interesting story. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he, was, as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. Now you wouldn't happen, have to worry about if it were poisonous or not. If it was me, I'd be gone. That'd be it. That'd be it. Uh, when the islanders, verse 4, saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must surely be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. <laughs> in other words, well, he didn't die in the, in the storm, and he didn't die in the shipwreck, and now here he's going to be bitten by a, a viper, a poisonous snake, and die, so he must have really done something bad. Uh, but it's interesting how this story goes. Verse 5, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. 
The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> so he goes from being a murderer who, is, who fate has finally caught up with uh, to being a god. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had been called gods before. You remember that story on the first mission journey of Paul in Acts 13 and 14 when they were in Lystra and uh, Paul healed a man who had been lame from birth and they tried to uh, worship the two of them uh, as, as gods and they would have none of it, of course. Uh, we're reminded here of, of Paul in Acts 17 and, and, and being there in Athens and the things that went on there and how uh, there were altars to every god imaginable, including to the unknown god, that Paul stopped by that one and said, this is, this, I want to talk to you about the god that you just don't know about. Um, what a great, great chapter. Um, of course, he's not going to let them worship him. Uh, verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. What a, what a great, great blessing um, this is. They're going to be on this island for three months, the next verse will tell us. But in the meantime, Paul, of course, has had this experience with this snake. And then the chief official of the island, whether he's the mayor or the governor, or whatever you want to call him, he's the chief official, a man of wealth. He has a nice estate there. He welcomes them. They go there, and I'm sure they're treated very well. Um, and as he is there, the man's father is, is ill and dying. And Paul heals him. And so when the word gets out about that, just like it did with Jesus, people come from everywhere. Uh, to bring their loved ones uh, to come themselves in order to receive the healing touch of the love and, and power of God. And, and so Paul, uh, Paul does that, uh, and he helps them, and he heals them. And then when they're ready to go, they, they, the people of the island who have been very kind to them um, uh, give them everything that they need. And so we came to Rome. That's the next section. But it's such a great story. It's such a great message of uh, the blessings that Paul receives after this harrowing journey, coming on the heels of mission journeys where he has been imprisoned and beaten and accused and left for dead. And um, just so many horrible things have happened. He's been worn out physically, worn out emotionally, worn out spiritually. And, uh, and then gets on this ship to go to the capital of the empire, not knowing what's going to happen there. Uh, it could mean life and freedom. It could mean death. Uh, and, and so after this harrowing, harrowing voyage where uh, they just knew that they, at one time, Luke records in Acts 27, they, they had given up all hope of being saved. Um, and yet they, they were. They, the ship runs aground, they land on this island, and for three months the islanders uh, care for them and they are able to recover, to ride out the rest of the winter. And so we came to Rome. Acts 28, beginning at verse 11. 
After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had been wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We'll come back to that in just a moment. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived in Regium. And again, it wouldn't be a bad idea to get out that handy-dandy Bible map and take a look at Paul's travels uh, from the island of Malta uh, to the port at Syracuse and then finally uh, to Italy. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Pudioli. There we found some brothers and sisters, verse 14 says, who invited us to spend a week with them. What a blessing that must have been. Uh, finally, to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we came to Rome, Luke says dramatically at the end of Acts 28, verse 14. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Absolutely, of course he was. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier, to guard him. Uh, what a great story uh, this is. What a great time for the Apostle Paul to be able to be encouraged, to be able to finally get off that boat and on the island, and then after three months to get on another boat and finally reach the mainland of Italy and, and begin the journey uh, walking up towards uh, the city of Rome and being met along the way by Christian brothers and sisters who themselves had sacrificed and walked great distances uh, just to be able to give him some encouragement and accompany him on the last leg of his journey. And so we came to Rome. Uh, these Greek gods, Castor and Pollux, it's interesting that the figureheads of the new ship uh, are Greek <laughs> gods and Roman gods, Castor and Pollux, the Gemini twins. Uh, Paul just can't get away from the idolatry that's all around him. Um, we say that we live in a difficult time in our country, and it certainly is difficult. We say there are challenges, and that's certainly true. But it's nothing like what Christians experienced in the first century, absolutely nothing like it. Uh, Paul would gather, get on, this, on board this ship, and the, the Gemini twins, uh, Castor and Pollux, were there as the figurehead of the ship because they felt like that would, that would bring safety for their travels, uh, these idol worshipers. Did And again, we're reminded of Paul in the city of Athens. Athens, in uh, modern-day Greece, known itself uh, for uh, uh, so much idolatry as there were idols and altars to every god imaginable and even some uh, that they didn't even know about. Um, and so they go on from there uh, uh, to Syracuse, uh, and they spend a little time at the university, visit some of the sites in New York, and... Okay, well, it's not that Syracuse, okay? It's on the island of Sicily, off the coast of Italy, and they stay there uh, for three days. Um, as best I can tell from some of my research, there wasn't even a synagogue uh, there in Syracuse, uh, but they stay for a few days and I'm sure do some recovering again and some refreshing, and perhaps Paul is able to uh, teach and preach a little bit to some of the folks uh, that are there. And then they go to Regium, and they finally reach the southern tip of Italy. That's the good news. The bad news is there's still 320 miles, and there's not very many trains or planes or even automobiles, a little high tip of the hat to John Candy there. Uh, there's not any of that, so what are they going to do? Well, they're going to travel the way first century 
travelers went, and that was likely to uh, uh, by uh, by foot. And so they began the steps up from Regium going towards the city of Rome. Um, and so they go from Regium to Puteoli, uh, and that's uh, great progress, about halfway almost, but they're still 170 miles from Rome. And there, while they're in Puteoli, they spend a week with fellow Christians. What a great blessing. Again, what an encouragement that must have been. How wonderful it was that Paul and his group were able to stay there for a week. Uh, they finally run into some other Christians, uh, some members of God's family, and they, um, they're able to stay with them and visit with them and interact with them. And I'm sure Paul tells all the stories. It, it appears that Luke is with him and the others, uh, some from Macedonia and other places where Paul had been, Asia, uh, a couple of them, they, they are able to tell them everything that God has done. Uh, through what uh, has transpired. Perhaps uh, some of them have, uh, have heard of him and, and are aware of the letter he wrote uh, to the church at Rome. Um, and so they go up the Appian Way, one of those great, wonderful Roman roads that uh, the Romans were famous for as they uh, did everything they could to establish a better means of travel uh, for the first century, uh, their first century citizens. And so they continue on on the Appian Way, uh, and they go to the town of Appius, which is still 43 miles from Rome. Can you imagine walking 43 miles? And yet they're walking over 300 miles. This is just as far as the journey has taken them uh, so far. And one of the great things that is mentioned here uh, about Appius is that uh, while Paul uh, when Paul gets to that city, he realizes that there were Christians from Rome who had heard that Paul was coming. And they themselves made the trip. They left Rome and came down and made the trip to meet him there in Appius and also at a place called the Three Taverns. Uh, we think of tavern, we think of a, of a bar or a place where um, alcohol and uh, partying and regaling and all of those things happen. Actually, probably not the idea of this term. It's more like three shops, uh, three inns, uh, three stores. Uh, but that's the name of the place, three taverns, where he finds some who have met him there. They met him in Appius, 43 miles from Rome. They meet him at three, the three taverns, still 33 miles from Rome. And you say, well, that that's, that's a, doesn't seem very long. Well, it doesn't seem very long if you can drive on I-20 and go 70 miles an hour, but when you're walking, it's a two-day walk. And that's what they did. Uh, these Christians walked two days one way so that they could take a rest, visit with the apostle, and then clean off their, their sandals and, and walk back two more days. Uh, what a blessing, what a sacrifice that these people did. You talk about people who appreciated fellowship, who understood the sacrifices that the Apostle Paul had made and thought, what can we do to give in him encouragement? I mean, we, we haven't gone on mission journeys like he has. We haven't, um, you know, preached and written things like he has. What could we do? Well, we can walk. We can go down and meet him. And they didn't... You know, they didn't look at their calendars. They didn't say, well, I, I, I would love to, but I just can't. I'm too busy. I've got too much going on. 
they knew how much this would mean to Paul. And so they went, and they spent two days to get there, and then they spent two days walking back with him. What a great encouragement that must have been. And again, we talk about needing the fellowship after after what we've been through this year, but they really understood it as well. Um, how many of you would walk two days straight? Walk two days, one way, just to have fellowship uh, with a brother or sister in Christ. That is exactly what these people did. Um, it It kind of causes us to really stop and consider, now, what excuse did I give again for not being there with my brothers and sisters? Uh, for not going uh, to church, to the assembly, to study and pray and sing and learn with my brothers and sisters in Christ, or at least to, to be able to be online and to take the time to, to participate in a service or in a Bible study. Um, our excuses pale when we consider what the first century Christians gave up and sacrificed in order to do the things that we take for granted. Um, this is an incredible, incredible group. And finally, they get to Rome, as Luke says, where Paul is under house arrest, a soldier guarding him as he lives by himself under guard uh, for two whole years. And during that time, he's going to be meeting with the Jewish leaders. He's going to preach to anyone who would hear him, of course. And again, it is likely during this time that he does a little bit of writing and writes those prison epistles that we mentioned earlier in the lesson. And so Acts 28 ends with Paul preaching the gospel in Rome. And Luke records it beginning in verse 17. Three days later, Paul called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. Remember, that was that was, that was what happened over these last few chapters. We saw that at the end of the third mission journey, it ends abruptly as Paul uh, lands in Caesarea and then makes the trip up to Jerusalem. And while he's there, he takes part in a vow uh, at, at the bequest of James and the other leaders of the church at Jerusalem to demonstrate his, his respect and appreciation still for his Jewish heritage and for the Jewish law and his brothers and sisters uh, through the flesh, as he calls them. Uh, his Jew, the Jewish family, and yet it's not enough for some. And so they have him arrested. Uh, they're plotting to kill him, and the commander finds out about it and uh, sends him to Caesarea, where he is there with the governor, and um, for a couple of years with Felix. Then when Festus arrives, uh, King Agrippa comes as well, and Paul appeals to Caesar. And so he describes that in that verse. He was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans, even though he hadn't done anything, uh, even though he was innocent. And as we know, as we have seen, the reason he appeals to Caesar is because he can't trust his own people. And he knows that if the Romans release him to his own Jewish brothers, that they'll kill him. And so he says, I, as a Roman citizen, appeal to Caesar. Um, he continues on uh, in verse 18. They examined me and wanted to release me, talking about the Romans, talking about Felix and uh, the governor Festus and King Agrippa and his sister Bernice. They realized that he had done nothing. Uh, they wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews, however, objected. 
So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. We think of house arrest, and we think that means that maybe you have a, a some kind of, of uh, anklet on that will indicate if you leave the house or not to the authorities. For Paul, it was a chain. He had a guard there. He had his liberty to some extent, uh, but he was definitely under arrest still. He was definitely a prisoner still. He had not had that hearing uh, before Caesar yet, and that would come in a couple of years. And so during that time, uh, he still wore a chain. He still was confined. He still was um, a prisoner. But he says, "Look, I'm I'm innocent. I I've uh, you know I've been arrested. I've um, I, I'm waiting for my appeal to Caesar. But I can tell you, I haven't done anything deserving of death." Um, and yet I had to do this to save my life, literally to save my life from my own people. But I wanted you to know, I wanted you to hear it from me, Paul is saying, that I'm innocent, that I haven't done anything, and I don't want the fact that I'm a prisoner, that I'm in jail, in prison, I don't want that to affect our relationship, to affect what you think of me and how we can interact, and the message, more than anything, the message that I have. I don't want you to consider... Uh, that that's not a credible message, he says, because it is. And so he meets with the Jewish leaders, and he's talking to them. Verse 21, their response is kind of interesting. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, that really is shocking. It's amazing. Of course, Paul has gotten there by... Uh, trying to travel through the winter and ending up shipwrecked for a few months. And so it may be that they just couldn't get to them and couldn't tell them uh, what was up and why Paul was uh, being sent to them as a prisoner uh, and get their story in. Maybe that's it. But for whatever the reason, the, the Jews from Rome say, we, we really haven't heard anything about you. Paul hadn't made it that far yet. He had made it as far as modern-day Greece, the northern... Uh, province and district of Macedonia with Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica, the southern province of Achaia, southern Greece, um, with Corinth and Athens. Uh, but he hadn't gone any further west than that. And it had been his dream, it had been his desire, and he's finally having it fulfilled at the expense of the state. Thank you, Caesar, uh, for paying for my trip to Rome, he might say. Um, and that's exactly what happens. And so they say, look, we beats us. We don't, we haven't heard anything. Verse 22, but we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. Well, maybe they haven't heard about Paul and what he's been through. They have heard of the Christians. They have heard of the sect of these followers, some Jew, some Gentile, who follow Jesus of Nazareth, who the Jews claim is the fulfillment of the prophets and the law, the descendant of Abraham, the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ. Uh, so they want to know. Let's, let's hear it. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He draws a crowd everywhere he goes. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. 
So it's just like Jesus interacting with the two disciples. Remember in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus? And they say, uh, well, you know, uh, Jesus kind of plays with them a little bit and says, what are you, what's up? What are you guys talking about? And they say, well, haven't you heard? Don't you know anything about this, this Jesus? We thought he was the Messiah, and then we saw him crucified, and now some of our, some of our own people have, have amazed us in saying that he's, he's been resurrected. They, they've seen him alive. And, and Jesus, along that road, tells them the story of, of the Messiah and tells them why. Uh, this was supposed to happen, and it's probably something very much like uh, what Stephen shared in Acts chapter 7 as he ties it all together. It's like what Peter shared in Acts chapter 2. It's like what Paul had shared in that uh, sermon in Acts uh, 13 and 14. Others as well. Um, Paul tells, talking to his Jewish brothers, remember, and so he's, that's the kind of sermon he's going to have. That's the kind of lesson he's going to have that ties uh, the Messiah, Jesus, to uh, the law and the prophets and, and tries to help them understand that, yeah, sure, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, but that's exactly what the psalmist in Psalm 22 and the prophets had said uh, would happen. Um, and so he does that. Verse 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. That's been true everywhere, even true today. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Just as he has done so many times before, God brings in the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, in, uh, starting in verse 26. This is quoting from Isaiah's call in Isaiah chapter 6 when he sees the Lord on the throne. Um, verse 26, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Well, that's a difficult passage and certainly it wasn't something that Isaiah wanted to hear. Um, remember that's when um, Isaiah is thinking that he's gonna die because he's had a vision of the Lord on the throne. He's seen the Lord. And he says, uh, I'm a dead man, and God uh, heals him. And then God says, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah's hand jumps up and says, here am I, send me. You know, I'll go. Um, and God says, okay, well, that's fine. You can go, but let me tell you about your trip. Let me tell you about your mission. It's, it's going to be rough going. And the way the world measures success, it's going to be a failure because People aren't going to hear, they're not going to understand, they're not going to obey, they're not going to accept your teaching. Um, and, and that's what Jesus found, and that's what Paul finds as well. And so he looks to those who have rejected his teaching, and he tells them, you're the fulfillment of Isaiah 6. Um, but then he goes on, therefore, verse 28, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. That's not something that the Jews wanted to hear. In fact, every time Paul has brought it up, there have been some Jews that have been thankful for it and said, yes, finally, probably. But there have been so many others who have said, rid the earth of this man, away with this man. That's why they wanted to kill him in Jerusalem, because he publicly went to the Gentiles, uh, taught them the gospel, refused to force them to obey the law or even to be circumcised, but called on them to respond with faith in the name of Jesus Christ, and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. 
that wasn't what the Jews wanted to hear. They wanted to hear them becoming Jews. And Paul said, nope, 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 that ship has sailed. Uh, it's not, not going to happen. And so he says, look, it's, this is what happens when you Jews reject the mission, the message of God. Um, it's exactly what the prophets had said would happen also. And he quotes that at times too. And they quoted that earlier in uh, Acts uh, 15 and in other places when they were talking about God's message being opened up to the Gentiles. Um, and so Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. Um, and then a, a textual variant, uh, speaking on another one of those this coming Sunday as we close out our series on the Lord's Prayer, uh, because the way that prayer ends in Matthew chapter uh, 6 is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's a little bit of a textual variant as well. Uh, we've seen another one earlier in the book of Acts, in Acts 8, 37, as uh, the Ethiopian treasure official is uh, converted by, uh, uh, by the visiting preacher Philip the Evangelist at his chariot. Um, and so this verse, verse 29, reads, After he said this, the Jews left, arguing vigorously among themselves. Some of them, some of you will see that in a footnote. Others will see a note in the text saying that this, this verse is uh, questionable. Doesn't change anything like all textual variants. There's nothing that, uh, that stops the turning of the earth. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, all of those are confirmed in other places or you know, can be understood uh, well enough. And certainly that is true of that one. And so now the end of the book of Acts, verses 30 and 31 of Acts 28. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, again with a guard, a soldier guardian, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Wow, what a great way to end this great book. You know, in the capital city of the empire, Paul the Apostle, under house arrest uh, there, uh, preaching and teaching the gospel to anybody who would come by. And perhaps it's on purpose uh, that God makes him wait before appearing uh, to Caesar. Um, and so he's going to uh, wait for two whole years, but during that time he has uh, the ability to speak freely, and he has the ability to teach and to preach the message of Christ. Um, however this turns out for Paul as a disciple of Jesus Christ, he will share his faith with whoever will listen and will do the work of God, whatever his circumstances. This past Sunday afternoon, I'm doing a series of lessons at 4 p.m. right here on this same Facebook page uh, that later is on our West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page and also broadcast on our uh, live stream page at westirwin.com. Uh, at 6 p.m. on Sundays, I'm doing a study through the book of Philippians. And as I said, it's very likely that that's one of those prison epistles that Paul writes during this two-year period that Luke just mentioned. Uh, possible he could have written them earlier, but very likely this is when he writes those. And as he writes to the Philippians, he says, he, he affirms, he talks about his uh, imprisonment. And he shares with them about uh, what's going on. In fact, he tells them that there are people outside where I am right now who are preaching Christ, some from pure motives, some from impure motives. This is a great passage in Philippians 1 that we covered just a week or two ago. And in that passage, he says, look, some are preaching Christ simply to cause me trouble. They think that by preaching the same Jesus that I'm preaching and am arrested for, 
that it will make things worse for me. Others are preaching Christ out of a sincere heart with pure motives, wanting people to come to know the Lord. And what Paul says in Philippians 1 astounds us. What he says is, either way, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. He's not going to get caught up in judging other people's hearts and judging other people's motives. What he simply says is that if Jesus is being preached, I'm good with that. I'm thankful for that and I will rejoice in all the good that that can bring. Now, as far as some preaching him out of impure motives, I'm going to turn that over to God. God is the one who sees the heart. God is the one who knows the motives. He can take care of that one. I don't have to. I don't have to. I'll just keep rejoicing that the name of Christ is out there. And I'll praise God for whatever good comes from that. I think that can be our attitude, too. If Paul can have that attitude for two years while he's in jail in Rome, <laughs> not knowing if he's going to live or die, I can certainly have that attitude in 21st century America and be able to say, you know, there's a lot going on out there that I, that I question. Uh, there's a lot of, of uh, ministry and preachers and preaching and teaching that's going on, even in the name of Christ, that's going on with an agenda that's going on out of impure motives. Satan himself quoted scripture to Jesus. Obviously, you can do that from impure motives and from a disingenuous heart and a desire to make things worse for somebody rather than better. But I can let God take care of that. It's for my part, I can study the Word, I can develop my own convictions, I can try to know and understand what God's will is and do that. And I can do that humbly and respectfully and I can share that message the same way. I can share it humbly, respectfully, firmly, willingly, obviously, but also respectfully. And out of a kind heart that says, you know, I care about you and I know I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And I hope that you'll let me tell you about him because he's made all the difference in my life. That's what Paul does for two years here. And it's during this time, not knowing what his fate will be, that Paul writes the great words that we just talked about in this last message from the book of Philippians just this past Sunday afternoon. Um, that great verse in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So as Paul looks at it from the perspective of a guy in prison, a guy under house arrest, a guy waiting to, the, be a, to, for, to appear before the Supreme Court, basically, uh, his appeal to Caesar, uh, and not knowing whether he'll be convicted to die or set free. For Paul, he says, either way, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. Because if, if Caesar says guilty, worthy of death, then so be it. I'll, I'll see the end of this life but I will see the beginning of the next. Because he says, for me to die is gain, to be in heaven with the Lord, but to live is Christ. And even in Philippians 1, he says, I'm kind of thinking that I'm going to be released. I don't think I'm going to die uh, because I think God still has work for me to do. And again, that should be our same attitude. Whether we live or die, we do so to the Lord. Our bodies are living sacrifices, Romans 12:1 says. And that's how Paul lived his life. And when he finally gets to Rome, they get to see him live that out firsthand as a prisoner awaiting appeal to Caesar. Um, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And as long as we're living, we are going to spread this message. We are going to live it, and we're going to share it. Imperfectly? Absolutely, yes. Yes. But the best we can. Uh, as humbly and as respectfully, but with as much conviction uh, as we can share. 
And that's exactly what seems to happen here. Paul finds himself, uh, as best we can tell, there's no 29th chapter in the book of Acts, but and there's no volume three, although I think Luke may have intended it. Maybe he wrote it, and it's just not extant. What that means is it's not uh, left for us to be available and not regarded uh, and accepted by the church as inspired scripture. Uh, maybe he wrote about Paul's release and about Paul's continued preaching and ministry and journey to Spain and ultimate arrest and then return to Rome. And the next time, as he stands before Nero, um, the verdict will be different. And because he's a Roman citizen, he will not be crucified, but he will be beheaded for the cause of Christ. Um, not this time, uh, but within a few years. Uh, likely so, uh, probably somewhere in the mid to late uh, uh, AD 60s, Paul's life is taken from him. Uh, but in the meantime, to live is Christ. And for Paul, that means teaching and preaching to anybody that will hear about this wonderful God, this wonderful Savior, who, in, as incredible as my sins are, uh, was willing to forgive. I'm excited about Thursday. This Thursday afternoon, we will have a last lesson on this uh, study of Acts. We'll look at uh, a brief run through the whole book and just see those travels as, as, um, as Luke records them and, and end up right where we are right now, but with a word about, um, about this fellowship that Paul is appreciating every single second while he's in the capital city of the empire. I hope that as you have the opportunity that you are able to have that same fellowship with someone and that if you can't get out and go to a live church service like we're having these days on Sunday mornings or if you can't uh, be around anybody, then please pick up the phone, drop them a card, a letter, a note, uh, send them a text message or a Facebook message, anything to share that fellowship that says, hey, I prayed for you today. I'm thinking of you today. And as I thought of you, I thanked God for you because of all that you mean to me and how your life is a characterization of the life of Christ. I hope that you're willing to do that, and I hope and pray that you're living in such a way that others will say that about you as well. I'll see you on Thursday. May God bless you.